The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 97. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, Balance of Terror. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, if you can, if you haven't done so yet, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, or on our YouTube channel, SQPN where you should also hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. So we're talking about this original series episode, one of the best that folks in the rankings of best episodes are made. This is always at the top of the list, or near the top of the, of the list of best episodes of Star Trek. It's the one that establishes the Romulans as a villain, a force to be reckoned with. And it marks also Mark Lennard's first appearance in Star Trek, who <laughs> eventually also plays Sarek. And uh, it's basically a World War II sub-hunting story. Yeah. Yeah, it's run silent, run deep in space. <laughs> exactly. It also, even closer, and it does have elements of run silent, run deep, but it also has elements of an earlier movie called The Enemy Below. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is is very much, you have a, I think William Holden is playing the American captain, but you have a, a ship on the surface that's tracking a sub below with a German commander during World War II, and you have this same cat and mouse, two commanders feeling each other out game happening. Right. In fact, it was very conscious, and I think uh, when I was reading that uh, they very consciously were were pulling from that same story, so it's very interesting. Um, Almost to a fault in some cases where, you know, we have the phasers that times act like death charges and Right. Some of that stuff and some of the shooting blindly in space as if that would, you know, space is very large. So, you know, but, you know, it, but it's OK. I, I'm willing to to, mm-hmm. to give them a little bit because the story is so good. We should probably mention where the title comes from, because people today may not be familiar with the phrase oh. balance of terror. That's a but good point. It's, it's from the Cold War. It, this is essentially a precursor phrase to mutually assured destruction. That right. we've got this balance where we can both hurt each other really badly, so we need to not hurt each other. Sure. Right. The balance is maintained because we're terrified of, of the the consequences that would result if we didn't maintain this standoff. Also, uh, notice this is basically a bottle episode. We have no alien mm-hmm. external sets here. It's all just stuff on the Enterprise with pre-existing sets and the Romulan Bridge. Right, which is essentially, I think is the Romulan Bridge is probably a redress of an Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, set. it probably is. It's probably a root, one of the rooms or something. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned it's the first appearance of the Romulans in Star Trek. So we can credit the screenwriter, Paul Schneider, 
for inventing the Romulan uh, the star empire. And he, he had, has said that he wanted them to be like the Roman civilization if it ever reached the point of space travel. So mm-hmm. in both their ethics and mores and their way of seeing the world, in the galaxy, that sort of thing. So it's interesting to see their beginnings. And in fact, the, the Romulans do change over time. Once we get to TNG, they, they were a little different than the Romulans of this episode. I really like yeah. this, these Romulans. I, I like this version of the Romulans better because like the Romans, they're trying to be honorable. Basically, right, right. and what happens is in next gen they give the Klingons the honor-based culture, and then the Romulans become just duplicitous villains. They have no honor. Right, <laughs> exactly. They're more the you know like the secret service type or secret police type society. You know, yes. where yeah. you're always looking over your shoulder for Tal Shiar and yeah. Whereas originally the Klingons were the untrustworthy ones, but the right. Romulans had a sense of ethics. They basically flipped the two cultures philosophies yes the klingons were originally swarthy pirates and the and the romulans were honorable warriors uh so we start the episode with an interesting open this is an interesting way of starting this episode uh kirk officiating as captain at a wedding uh a a civil wedding apparently although there are religious elements in it given that this takes place this is filmed in the 60s not takes place but you know Mm -hmm. filmed in 1966 or five or somewhere around there um So the the bride, Angela Martine, kneels at the altar, yeah. and if you look at the symbol, the wall hanging behind Kirk, it has a variety of religious symbols, but one of them is a stylized cross, mm-hmm. and he alludes in the speech to our laws and our many beliefs, so this is like an ecumenical interfaith service. Yep. I had thought, I read somewhere, that Rodden, that originally it was going to be a chaplain who would be uh-huh. performing mm-hmm. the wedding, and Roddenberry blew his stack and didn't want there to be a chaplain on the Enterprise. So the role fell to Kirk as the captain, because captains right. can marry people on sea voyages. But I looked for that in a major history of Star Trek and could not find it. So that may be apocryphal. That may okay. not be true at all. And it could be just the logical thought of, if the Enterprise has a chapel, or that room was explicitly listed as a chapel, then it must have a officer who is responsible for it. In other words, a chaplain. Right, right. right. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, that Angela, the bride, very clearly prays. I mean, she raises her eyes up. I mean, she's kneeling mm-hmm. and praying. So I thought that was a the interesting inclusion that uh, of that, give, especially given Roddenberry's famed uh, humanist outlook on things and his antipathy toward religion. Um, we, we do see Scotty acting as the father of the bride. He you know he walks her yep. down the aisle, which is nice. And, well, he's, uh, he's from Scotland, so he's got to be a barbarian and maintain this <laughs> barbaric custom of giving away the bride like a piece of property. <laughs> right, right. And uh, the the groom is uh, is is Robert Tomlinson. Tomlinson. Apparently, he and Angela are on this in the same department, the same division. They serve yeah. on the same he's, uh, he's phaser her, crew. He's her superior. I, yeah, I know. It's like, how does that square with the regs? It <laughs> doesn't in the modern day military. Apparently, it doesn't Starfleet just fine. Wow. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I, I was I was kind of uh, interesting watching this again after a long time picking up on that. Um, we have the uh, the wedding is interrupted by a red alert. Uh, someone is attacking Earth Outpost Four. We apparently have a bunch of Earth outposts. One through what was it seven eight eight, eight. Uh, and uh, other outposts have already gone dark, and the Enterprise had been tasked 
was going to find out what was going on. And so the wedding is put on hold. And we run through the hallways with all these extras because it's season one and they have the money for extras in the yeah. hallways. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we're told that we're given the exposition that there's a neutral zone between uh, the Romulan Star Empire featuring the planets Romulus and Remus. So those are those twin planets are there from the beginning and right. the rest of the galaxy. Although uh, on, on the map, on the star map, we see it's Romulus and Romai. Yeah, very interesting, the, the, the change in the graphics there. Also, the fact they say the neutral zone is between these two planets and the rest of the galaxy suggests that the Romulan star empire is really small. <laughs> yeah, it's just right. these two planets. And then later, the, Rom the Romulan uh, commander is talking to a centurion saying, we've seen a hundred campaigns together. I'm going, wow, if you've got two planets and you've seen and you haven't gone out of the neutral zone in a hundred years, you've had a lot of insurrections, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, of course, the other side of the neutral zone is Earth outposts, so there's only yeah. one planet on the other side. <laughs> no, Again, true. early days of Star Trek, where we we haven't really developed the idea of the Federation. Um, so, Romulus and Remus, uh, how about, we, we've talked about Balance of Terror, maybe we should give a little bit of primer on who they were in Earth history. Okay, so... Romulus and Remus were two brothers. They're descendants of Aeneas, who was a survivor of the Trojan War that came to Italy. And Romulus and Remus were raised by a she-wolf, and they then sort of competed in founding a city which became Rome, and Romulus was the one who won out, and so that's why Rome is named after him. And there's more that happened, but— It's Rome. It's called Rome, not Reem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he's the fam more famous one, and their backstory is why you'll see, like if you go to uh, the Capitoline Museum in Rome, you'll see yep. the statue of a she-wolf with the two little babies under it suckling. Yes. Yep. That's yes. Romulus and Remus. Uh, we get some exposition from Spock about the nature of the neutral zone, that, you, that no, neither side is allowed to enter into it, unlike other, like neutral territories are often, you know, on Earth are places where anybody can go. Uh, but in this case, it's oh. a neutral zone, which is a barrier, which no one can go into. It's a no-man's land. Yeah, I, I, I take it to be like the, the Korean Peninsula demilitarized yeah. zone. That's, right. that's like, usually what we call them here on Earth as DMZs, not right. neutral areas. Right. Uh, it's, so, yeah, they, in this case, and this would be, you know, again, 1966, the Korean conflict would still be quite present in people's minds, and they would remember this uh, aspect of it. Um, and so we have the, and they talks about the Romulan War uh, of a hundred years previously, and the outposts. And uh, Kirk does, informs everyone, the crew, that Starfleet orders are that the outposts and the and the Enterprise are both expendable, expendable to prevent starting a war. So we right. we've raised the stakes here to, yep. to what's going on. Yeah. Spock also mentioned some really implausible stuff, like so they fought the war with primitive atomic weapons. Okay, fine. Yep. But those primitive atomic weapons means that they never took prisoners. So this would have had to have been an entirely space-fought war. Mm -hmm. Right. But he says there wasn't even visual communication between the ships at the time. That's <laughs> really implausible. Yes. Right. And they negotiated the treaty by subspace radio. So we've, the two sides have never met. Right, and that the, if that they, bit didn't age well. <laughs> yeah, if they if they think remotely like us, which they do, because they're a Vulcan offshoot, there's no way we would have not met in the course of this war. 
Uh, when right. when have humans ever fought a war with other humans and never saw the other side? Right. And right. arranged in, a treaty with them. In fact, in the series Enterprise, they have to jump through some hoops to try to maintain this aspect of the history. Well, it, yeah. it kind of brings a different light to the uh, missiles that they would launch off the, the NX-01 Enterprise, because apparently they're all nuclear. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we and then we get introduced to the navigator, Lieutenant Stiles, who is very anti-Romulan. Uh, he has names multiple ancestors who died in the Romulan War, and I'm thinking it, it's sort of like being, you know, holding a grudge from the Civil War in 1966. Like, like you know, uh, people did. Oh yeah, that's right. Do <laughs> they still <laughs> yeah, do? People still do. Yeah. So maybe it's uh, plausible, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, but he still maintains that grudge. And then we have uh, some scenes. In order to maintain this idea of this sub-hunting feel to the episode, we introduce some some changes or differences in the way we've seen things work. One of them is that the the phasers are controlled locally, you know, in their in the phaser control room by a crew. And this is important for the plot. Um, it's locally controlled, manned by crews, and orders are given from the bridge to fire, but they're not fired like remotely. They have to be fired locally. Yeah, is- so so Kurt gives the order to uh, what's his name, who then Styles. relays the or- Styles, who relays the order down to the phaser control room to the techs who do the actual work. Right, and this is the only time we ever see this. Every other time they've automated it, so you just press a button on yeah. the bridge and it's done. Yeah, yeah I want to say they kind of they kind of hand waved at that previously, but literally just kind of mentioning that there's a phaser control room, and that's right. kind of about as far as it went. And there was a drill, like it was a phaser f- drill in, yeah. in, um, previously as well, right? Uh, I think in Charlie X, in fact. Uh, yep. So we um, we had we we get it to talk to Outpost Four, which has been heavily damaged, and we, they talk to the, the 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 commander of the base, and they see they then they see it attacked live on screen. It was live streamed while they were while they were while it was attacked and destroyed, mm-hmm. and they see the Romulan ship that attacked Cloak. So again, another first, we have a cloaked vessel, and, and this is necessary. And Spock says that cloaking is, invisibility is theoretically possible, but the power requirements would be enormous. And he's like, got it right and wrong in an, an interesting way, because back then there was a huge debate about could you really make an invisibility screen? Lots of people right. thought, no, it's not possible. And if you could, you couldn't see out of it. And today we know, no, it is it is possible to do an invisibility screen using meta materials. But the mm-hmm. thing is, once you've made the meta materials, there's no power requirement. So, <laughs> right, right. So, so you build it once, and then you've got an invisibility cloak, and you don't need to decloak to fire. Well, I, I think they they pretty much considered like the cloaking device back then more like a kind of a shield where it would wrap around right. the ship and just bend the light around the ship. It's kind of how they. What it, it does, yeah. What it does is it it creates limitations on it, so that you know if you could if you could truly be invisible and fight, then you are you know nearly invincible. Where this creates the limitation of you have to they have to decloak to fire, which is something that we get mm-hmm. throughout the rest of Star Trek to kind of balance out the the power of a of a of a visib- invisibility. So we have this whole idea of uh, the the cloak and and the power requirements. Uh, Styles right right here makes a comment that seems a bit odd where he says there could be romulan spies on board the enterprise yeah and there's a reason why that line is and sulu agrees with him 
which is even more shocking. There's an explanation, though. There was a deleted scene where they were talking about the Romulan ship and saying it is it is very similar to us in some ways. It suggested stolen plans for our starship design, oh, and okay. that would lead to, well, then we must have in- Romulan infiltrators in the Federation, and we might have them on board. Okay, because this isn't—because— it would make more sense if he says this after, which we get next, seeing the Romulans' physical ab- appearance similar to Vulcans. Yeah. In fact, they look just like Vulcans. Um, although, it, you know, the... Uh, well, I, I, I had some notes here, like, what if the Romulans had rounded ears as opposed to having pointy ears? It, it seems a quick leap to just say, oh, they have pointy ears, therefore they must be somehow related to Vulcans. It's entirely based on a, a very exterior appearance. There isn't a whole lot. It's a whole. There's not a whole lot of reason here at first to say, "Oh, somehow they're connected to Mister Spock's race." They also have pointy eyebrows and similar haircuts. Yep. Well, that's true. I guess if we have similar haircuts, it's, we're being invaded by hipsters who all look alike too. So, <laughs> so I guess. But it's it's interesting that we leap to that. Uh, the the Brahmin the bridge design is interesting. It's b- intentionally made to look like the cramped bridge of a submarine, where they're all gathered around a central console. Uh, this is not a, a a spacious ship by any means. And Styles starts up with his comments, his uh, asides, and sometimes right outright accusing Spock of being a spy, which is uh, interesting. Again, this is not far removed from McCarthyism and the. There's a co- it could be a commie in your you know right around the corner from you at any moment. Well, it also sets up so you have the guy that gets he gets saved by the person he mistrusts. Right, right. Where he refers to Spock as Vulcan, and that's right. this is not this is also not far from the civil rights movement. Yes, yes. The, the, right. He makes he makes a an assumption about on Spock based on his race and and his outward appearance compared to the bad guys. Uh, which, to which, which Kirk says, you know, leave your bigotry in your quarters, no place for it on the bridge. Right. And I liked that. I thought yeah. that has a, I mean, that has a balance that's like, okay, we're here to be professionals. You're not going to be doing that in public. I don't care what you think in private. I may despise what you think in private, but whatever you think in private is your business. We're here to be professionals. Yeah, right. And that's a more respectful attitude than what you have today, where right. even people's private thoughts are thought crime, and right. they need to be ostracized, even if they and and berated, and we need to secretly be suspecting what everyone's private thoughts are because you can't trust what if they're even if they're professional in their outward demeanor, there's got to be something there, some secret prejudice they're harboring in their hearts well and it's right. that's that's where they talk about cancel culture today is exactly that yes. that if you yeah. you say something or even think something that's wrong we we're gonna get you cut off from the rest of the world basically right you need to be canceled you need to be uh, cut off at, for for the, the the first infraction uh so we get we have some some of this uh the the romulan commander on board his uh his bridge of his ship we never get his name he's just the commander throughout um but we also have another Romulan. Who it's, play- it's really makes it all the more poignant that nobody knows his name when, you know, yeah. at the end, he sacrifices himself by blowing himself out into the light with the possessed uh, lady, you know, to save everybody from the midnight creed. Oh, wait, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's Doctor Who. That's Doctor Who, yes. Uh, so 
the the actor who plays the Romulan Decius is also an act another actor who plays a Vulcan in a different episode, just like Mark Leonard. That's the actor who plays Ston right. in a mock time, uh, who plays the mm. the the the, uh, the other suitor to Spock's uh, fiance, shall we say? And also, he's they they're wearing the same uh, helmets to cover their ears to save on makeup costs. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that way, they didn't have to make prosthetic ears for everyone. Um, and uh, we have we do get the first hint that there is a uh, uh, a secret police political correctness subculture going on in the Romulan Empire, where this guy seems to be operating outside of the chain of the com- chain of command by sending coded messages back to the Praetor, the to the government. He's he's got political connections outside of it, so yeah, you, you have to be wary of the guy who is technically subordinate but has power over you because of who he knows. Right. So there is right. a bit of that already in this. Well they do kinda they kinda poke at it too because because he sent out the message, the Enterprise was able to basically hack their comms and that's how they were able to get the view of the bridge. Right. 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 So he broke radio silence when he wasn't supposed to. I didn't I, I that's interesting. I'll have to rewatch that sometime and see does he come across as the political officer on the ship. Well it it gets mentioned. The Centurion you know warns the commander, hey, you know, be careful when, with him. Right. He's got yeah. powerful friends. It's it's not so much like a political officer like you saw with Rush, with the Soviet Union, where you know, hunt for Red October, where there's that one officer who's the, the right. KGB officer, basically. Uh, it's more like this is a junior officer who happens to have some very high connections. Is kind of how yeah. they phrased it. That was yeah. what I that was what I thought of. That in in Roman society, you would have patronage where you had these alliances, and, and you needed to be careful. If you were crossing from one house to another, you may be mm-hmm. dealing with someone. He may have high up patrons. Okay, exactly, okay. exactly. I I do like this. The, the 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 commander is a nuanced character. I really like this. He's not just the bad guy. You know, he laments that the their the Romulan victory over these outposts is is not necessarily glorious because it will mean yet another war. He's the old warrior who who's who is tired of fighting but has served because it is his duty to do so. But mm-hmm. he's tired of the of of war. He doesn't want to go to war again. And so he almost wishes that they would lose, which is of course, you know, treasonous thinking. Well, he says I almost wish we don't get back. So right, it's right. like we almost wish we would die on this mission to avoid a war. And so that is revealing of what the purpose of this mission is. I was trying to figure it out because if you're killing all these bases, why are you sending one ship to do that? Why don't you Pearl Harbor this thing? I mean, that was the Japanese strategy at the beginning of World War II. We're going to decimate the U.S. Navy so that we can then mm-hmm. have unfettered expansion in the Pacific before and can consolidate our gains before the U.S. can rebuild its navy. Because and and so I understand a massive sneak attack, but why are they blowing up these bases? I the next thing I thought of was well, this could be tickling, um, mm-hmm. which was something that we and the Soviets would do to each other, where we'd kind of get in each other's faces a little bit, right? As kind of just harassing each other, testing each other, keeping each other on our toes you know, sending a kind of low level, we're not going to war, but we want you to know we're ready kind of signal. (laughs) But then apparently this is sort of a middle thing where they're Mm -hmm. deliberately testing, like they've been sent on a mission to see how much damage a single Romulan ship can do to the Federation these days. And if it's enough, we're going to go to war again. We're going to break the treaty. 
Right. If the, if these weapons, the cloak and the new uh, powerful plasma weapon or uh, whatever they call it, uh, are powerful enough to, to upset the balance of power, the balance of terror, mm-hmm. uh, that will allow us to go to war and, and be assured of victory. Um, and that's what we get here. Spock gives a briefing on this Romulan weapon, and uh, they have uh, he he shows them debris from the outpost made of castrodinium. He calls it the hardest substance known to science, and he crumbles it with his hand. I love that. I remember that as a child. It's always such a dramatic moment, right? Yeah. Spock being very dramatic here, <laughs> and uh, they theorize that it's an enveloping plasma that forces an implosion, which is. An interesting bit of uh, uh, science babble that they get going there. Mm. They have a book on the table, on the briefing table, a an actual bound leather-covered <laughs> book called <laughs> The Table of Comets, and it lists all the known comets. Maybe, uh, the, maybe the one that the, the NX-01 Enterprise uh, saw is in there. Oh, man. <laughs> and this, this comet is named Icarus 4? It's yes. like, come on, dudes, there are a trillion comets in our solar system alone. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it's it's very fun. Uh, I, I wonder where, at this point, did they think of this as this neutral zone being on the edge of our solar system? You know, I just kind of like, what what was their thinking here? I, I haven't seen anything that explains what they, how they, they visualized the way things were, but yeah. I I just I had to laugh uh, uh, quite hard when I saw the the book the table of comets which is a nice pun <laughs> on table of contents by the way yeah oh yeah <laughs> I I think we're clearly meant to be somewhere far out in space but if you look at the map and how fast the Enterprise's dot is moving it could get to Romulus in like fifteen minutes yeah exactly <laughs> right. this map is not made to scale <laughs> so so Spock starts discussing tactics and McCoy gets upset because hey you know. You're, we're already jumping to war here. Well, uh, yeah, and I'm, McCoy, I'm sorry, Doctor McCoy. They're attacking our bases. We've got to be talking about tactics here. That's the that's the, the no the pun long intended. But it. that ship has already sailed. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. and and Spock is totally right. These guys need to get a nice big Vulcan hello. <laughs> yes, they do. Now, <laughs> Styles wants to go on the attack. He's he accurately accurately says that if the Romulans ship gets back unscathed it will encourage them to go to war that we we've been we've established that um and then verbally attacks spock again for the romulan's appearance but spock turns the tables on him and says no you're right that we we should attack immediately because if the romulans are an offshoot of the vulcans pre-logic then they will be ruthless and aggressive and dangerous against any sign of weakness so therefore i agree we should immediately attack which kind of you know undercuts styles yep. Uh, it, it, suspicions against Spock. But by, by the way, there's a moment early on where we've just after the first line about there could be spies on board, and then we see the Romulan commander and Styles immediately accuses Spock. You watch Leonard Nimoy's reaction, and he's conveying Spock is nervous, right? And yeah. and waits to see what Kirk's reaction to that is going to be. And it's not until Kirk tells. Uh, styles to keep his bigotry in his quarters that Leonard Nimoy as Spock relaxes. Mm-hmm. But right. I, so I like that Spock is genuinely nervous here at first. He's yeah. concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Kirk comes up with a plan to attack the Romulan when it flies through a comet's tail, which would reveal its position. Uh, and, and so uh, they they are somehow tracking its movement, but of course they can't. But for some reason they can't well, see it well of, enough with the sensors. Yeah, like sensor shadow or something like that. You know, they they see something, but they're not sure what it is. 
And right. they're they're using that to their advantage by setting a parallel course to the Romulans to make the Romulans think that they're just a sensor echo. Right. But of course the Romulans figured that out and they they're do we find out they're intentionally flying into the comet in order to obscure the Enterprise's sensors and then have a sneak attack uh when the Enterprise is blinded in the in the comet tail. Um but the, the Romulan ship gets damaged when the Enterprise fires blind and the uh, the old centurion, who's the the old comrade of the commander, he ends up uh, dying heroically, saving the commander from uh, falling styrofoam. Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> uh, these giant parts of the ship that fall at random, but the ship seems well, to be along with, okay. The, the random <laughs> dust that every time the ship gets hit just kind of filters down from the ceiling. It must know, be they, they, of- need, they need some maids or something to really kind of do some vacuuming. Yeah. Meanwhile, back over on the Enterprise, the Enterprise using its depth charge phaser mode has burned out a bunch of fuses. Yeah, that apparently are all under Spock's console. That's what yeah, they keep exactly. the phaser circuits. Uh, that's uh, handy. Uh, so the the Enterprise instead backs up uh, when the uh, the Romulan ship shoots the plasma weapon at them, and the Enterprise starts going reversing uh, uh, direction, mm-hmm. backing up, boldly um, backing away as fast as possible. Yes, and uh, which led me to think. Does this weapon have a guidance system? Could you just not like like step to the side and have it go past mm-hmm. you? Yeah, um, apparently, it, <laughs> apparently it has a guidance system. Uh, and then, as the Romulan ship be- you know prepares to enter the neutral zone, the Enterprise attacks again at extreme range. They're trying to prevent them from getting through because of this whole thing. If they get back unscathed, mm-hmm. um, that's that'll be an invitational war. And this leads Kirk to decide to violate orders and enter the neutral zone. Right. Despite his earlier, we're expendable and at all costs, stop you know the war. Well, avoid war is the overarching priority. That's why the Enterprise is expendable. And now they've realized that to avoid war, we've got to stop this ship from getting back. Right. At least they've reasoned their way to that position. They don't haven't really proved it. Interestingly, earlier on, Spock has said that the Romulan ship only has impulse power. So they're yes. limited to light speed, which means massive tactical disadvantage in any war with the Federation. Yeah. And then when Kirk says full astern emergency warp, <laughs> so it's yeah. like you could totally outrun. I mean, that that plasma being yeah. plasma, it has mass, so it's right. also light speed limited. <laughs> you should totally get away from that thing. Lickety split. It shouldn't be a problem. But eventually, it dissipates due to range, yeah, and that's how they manage to avoid it. They just they they get an impact, but it's not fatal. Also, as they're waiting for the impact, Janice Rand and Kirk hug each other. I it's noticed that. Yeah, subtle, but they do hug each other. She needs uh some some consolation from the big strong captain there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> very much of its time. The uh, the Romulan commander does the old submariner trick where he expels some debris and bodies. To trick the Enterprise into thinking that they're dead, and uh, but Kirk's not buying it. Uh, Spock says there's not enough debris to really to make up for you know the, the the mass of the the alien the the Romulan ship, and so the Enterprise and Bertrand go silent and wait for the other to make a move for over nine hours. Um, yeah, so silent running for ten hours for both ships. Everybody mm-hmm. is whispering, despite the fact there's a hard <laughs> vacuum between the two ships. I, I and Kirk, Kirk even tells Spock to work quietly despite space. Right, right. <laughs> well, apparently, their sensors are so sensitive they can pick up the slightest sound. The you know hundreds of kilometers between the ships, or however far they are at, apart. At you know? best, at best. 
Yeah, you could have a rock concert on board the Enterprise and it wouldn't matter, but apparently. <laughs> so uh we have this moment where it's the it's that classic moment in the in the sub hunting story where the the captain gets maudlin, you know, and he gets mm-hmm. so Kirk gets maudlin about having to be in command and make the tough decisions and McCoy talks about how in all the universe there's only one of each of us and you know, Kirk shouldn't destroy the one named Kirk. And I'm like, this is a very odd speech. I know. Yeah. I have in my notes, McCoy delivers a bunch of bad math, followed by there's only one of each of us, followed by don't destroy the one named Kirk. It's like, <laughs> don't kill yourself is, I, you know, uh, probably <laughs> something he wasn't planning on doing anyway. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a- it was, a, it was a bit of an odd bit of, yeah. The, the, well, Gene Roddenberry did rewrite this script without credit, so that may be why. Uh, and that, yes. that might have been another one of those where they had to stretch the plot just a little bit longer to fit the right. time. Right, right. It, it, was, it was as bad math was the mathematical probability of three million Earth-type planets in the galaxy. So. And three, three million galaxies, and it's like, Way more than that, dude. Well, he yeah. did say three million million galaxies. It was uh, two million there. Still. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, on the bridge, Spock, uh, you know, blindly reaching up from underneath the console where he's been working on the phasers, uh, accidentally activates a sensor, uh, which, of course, is uh, this way to to create suspicion in Styles that he did it on purpose because it alerts the Romulans that they're still out there. The Romulan is out of fuel for his plasma weapon. So he drops a nuke in with some more debris this time, which this you know the the nuke damages the Enterprise and uh, they're unable to shoot. They're unable to fire. So uh, Styles Kirkson Styles to phaser control to help Tomlinson, the groom from the wedding at the beginning of the episode, remember, who was alone there after the attack. And then Uhura is sent to man navigation, which is mm-hmm. kind of nice. Uh, we get this nice moment of Uhura. And Sulu at the console, they kind of there's a there's a pause here to kind of let the the yep. audience see the black woman, the Asian man, you know, running, running things the here. ship. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of it in those terms. I just noticed that Sulu looks over at her, and they have like a meaningful glance or something. Yeah, I I have a feeling that there was a little bit of that there, which is mm. fine. Which is fine. Yeah, I just not how I not the lens I see the world through. <laughs> right. Um, uh, one thing that was interesting, this is more the lens I see the world through. Um, she uses the communication system from the nav console right. and, uh, apparently someone noticed that she like shuts down the communication station when she leaves it. So she's apparently transferring the functions of that mm. over to the nav station. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a, that was a nice bit of uh direction there, making sure that we get that in there. Uh, Kirk wants to play dead and wants to lure them in, so the Enterprise is kind of hanging sideways in space <laughs> to <laughs> to make it look like it's it's dead. And uh, Decius, the the uh, the the, the uh, Romulan subordinate, wants to attack the Enterprise, but the commander wants to leave. And but Decius mentions their duty, and that you know stiffens the commander's resolve, maybe to just to 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 do what needs to be done. Um. And Meanwhile, of course, Frederick Frederick has to go with his duty because he is the slave of duty. Oh wait, that's Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, meanwhile, in phaser control, Spock shows up to see how things are going, and Styles verbally attacks Spock, um, and then so Spock leaves. 
But then there's a phaser coolant leak, which is an important thing. The coolant leaks on when there's a coolant oh, is, leak in it. Oh, is that what that bad. is? I just have yep. a gas leak or it could be yeah. smoke. I don't know what that was. There was a sign on the wall that said phaser coolant. Ah. Uh, so I, yeah, I kind exactly. of made the connection. Spock runs back in when the Kirk is calling for them to fire and nobody's shooting. And uh, so Spock hears and he runs back in um, and sees Stiles and Tomlinson on the floor. And he manages to, to fire the weapons. And then we have this scene of Kirk and the commander on screen. The commander's, you know, his ship is is doomed. It's is been he's been defeated, but he refuses to be rescued. Yeah, and Kirk is like, okay, let's beam your survivors over here to the Enterprise, and then let's mutually compliment each other. But it's like, no, that's not what my duty allows. Right. Exactly. Uh, he, the, the, yeah, the commander says that in a different reality, he and Spock, uh, he and Kirk could have been friends in a in and. In a, I kind of wonder about this line because this is like such a cliche, but I don't know if it in a different reality I could have called you friend. It's like, dude, you don't Maybe. really know him very well. He could just be a good tactician and a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but this is such a cliche line. I mean, we're totally, totally Gilgamesh and Enkidu at a rook at this <laughs> moment. Yes. But was this a cliche at the time mm -hmm. where you have the two commanders that oh if only things had been different we could have been friends even though we don't actually know each other at all was that already a cliche or did this is this kind of the start of that cliche in science fiction i think it's not even just science fiction i think in a lot of war literature you know the, yeah. about two yep. opposing opposing officers there was often this idea that you know, like you get, like in the Civil War, they actually, and many of the opposing generals were actually friends. Before oh, they'd, the gone war. To, they'd gone to West Point together. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and so there's this idea of you know we are honorable men of honor, men of men of uh, war, men of our profession, and we respect each other. We we you know we could attend parties together and and have great conversations and talk about tactics. But when it's time for us to do battle, then we do battle. And but we would be friends otherwise. And I think that I think that was. I don't know if it was a cliche so much at that point, although it's kind of a cliche now, but at the time it was just sort of understood that well, a great officer it, would yeah, be a great it, in a historical In a historical piece, I understand it because this that has happened. But here you have these two people who have never met before, mm -hmm. and they're both so noble that even though they've never had a conversation before this moment, <laughs> right. the, the Romulan has is convinced of Kirk's no, mutual nobility and that they're tragically at odds with each other. Right, well, right. It's, that's, it's, it's, yeah. And it's kind of the end of, of, of the little, you know, kind of asides that the commander would say, the Romulan commander would say about how, how noble Kirk is and how, you know, strategic he is and how brilliant he is, although they, again, had never talked face to face just off of Kirk's, how Kirk handled the situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, like he, he, at one point he says, this one's telepathic. He can read my mind. So, He's a yeah. sorcerer, that one. Yes. Yes. That's the line. So uh, we, we, uh, the, the uh, Romulan commander instead blows up his own ship uh, because he can't let, you know, out one, of duty, he cannot let yeah. the Starfleet get a hold of their technology. Just one more duty to perform. Boom. Yes. And then, uh, and then we get at the end, we get, uh, Rand, Yeoman Rand, shows up with news that Starfleet Command finally got back to Kirk to say, we support whatever decision you make. Well, that's good. Thanks for showing up and let me know that uh, I'm okay doing what I've done. And by the way, the, the groom of the wedding-to-be yeah. is now dead. The only fatality in the whole this whole uh, uh, escapade 
is Tomlinson. And we end with Angela, his fiance, in the chapel praying when Kirk yep. goes to her. And he tries to reassure her that there has to be a reason for for what happened, for what happened to Tomlinson, even if it doesn't make sense. And that's kind of where that's where we end. She says, I'm all right. You know, that's just mm-hmm. sort of like, I'll be OK. What? And that time word for I'm really not all right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, but the, and, and it's an interesting way to bracket this episode with the you know the wedding and the sacrifice that's made and uh, and it's sort of a bit of a prayer at the end too. This idea of right. there there must be a reason for for the way things happen. There you know that we have a, a higher power g- g- given that you know Angela was praying at the time that he, he told her that. So it's an interesting way to to, to bracket it again. 1966, the people's sense of faith was much more present in their daily life right. uh, mm-hmm. than we often have now, especially in our entertainment. Uh, anything else you want to say about this episode? Nothing here. So I really like the classic design of the Romulan warbird, and I wish mm-hmm. that they would use that design more. Yes. Um, yes. I, I think it's a really cool design, and it always has been, and it's been underused. They also note at one point that this is the Praetor's finest flagship that has been beaten, and it's a little interesting that you would send your finest flagship to do a mission like this. Although you you equip it with the most advanced weaponry we have. Yeah, and the worst and and clearly inferior transportation system. They should be able (laughs) to tell from the other side of the neutral zone that we're moving much faster than light on the other side. Right. Also... Styles, and I think we touched on this, but Styles is alive because Spock saves him. I forgot so to mention So the, the yes. Vulcan bigot or the anti-Vulcan bigot is saved by the Vulcan, and we have our little, not exactly subliminal, but low-level message there. Right. Yep. And right. that's fine. As, as long as it's low-level, as long as you, you don't have a speech about, you've got to be the best of humanity, or, and then we cut to a clan rally or something. Right. <laughs> Where have we seen that one uh, a few months ago? So, uh, yeah, we have this uh, line from Styles. I'm alive, sir, but I wouldn't be. Mr. Spock pulled me out of the phaser room. He saved my life. He risked his life after I, and then he gets cut off by Spock saying, I saved a trained navigator so he could return to duty. I'm capable of no other feelings in such matters. Oh, okay, you jerk. <laughs> I guess I'm just utilitarian useful to you. <laughs> I don't have value in and of yeah. myself. That's just you know, Spock being Spock. I know, I know. Exactly. Yeah, just it a, a little yeah. funny there. But, um, all right, so, I, and again, as I said at the top, this is, despite whatever quibbles, this is one of the the best episodes of Star Trek, uh, for the original series, in all of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I really, this really highlights, A, why Kirk is such a great captain. It highlights what made this so good, you know, Star Trek so good. You know, this first season... As we go through it, I keep reminding, remembering how many great episodes are in this first season, and this is certainly uh, one of the best. So, very good. Uh, we do have a bit of feedback from our last, or not last episode, a little bit of a while ago, uh, from episode 82, where we're, we're recording these a bit ahead of, so our, we're catching up on our feedback. Uh, on our Deep Space Nine uh, discussion in episode 82, uh, called Captive Pursuit, uh, that, if you recall, that was the one where the uh, mm-hmm. the hunters from the the uh, Gamma Quadrant were hunting Tosk. Uh, oh, I'm right, just Tosk. Right. Uh, so uh, Kelly Brown writes on Facebook, I like this episode, and I agree with Jimmy and Dom that Tosk was one of the most interesting characters of the first season. I wonder, though, Cisco is going to let the hunters take him because of the Prime Directive and all, 
but the Bajorans who own the station don't have the same rules. They don't have a prime directive. I wonder how it would have shaken out if the Bajorans had disagreed with That would Cisco. be interesting. Yeah. I'm, kinda, I'm almost kind of surprised they didn't do that. Although I think there were a couple of times eventually in the series where they start doing that, where they, right. they start having a little bit of friction between Starfleet and Bajor. Especially when Kai Wynn shows up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, uh, since O'Brien helped Tosk escape, wouldn't that have interfered in their game? I can see the Hunters not being as willing to allow the Alpha Quadrant to be out of bounds in the game since someone from there interfered. He's apparent, Tosk is apparently not allowed to actively solicit help, and that does interfere with the game. But uh, once, he's, once he's loose again, I think the Hunters are still going to try to catch him. Right. I think they were just happy to have the hunt back on and to have exactly. Tosk not be stripped of his dignity and glory, etc. So, yeah, I think that was the, the, the case there. All right. Well, thank you for that feedback, Kelly. We really appreciate it. Before we finish up, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Peter H., Joshua R., Don C., Andrew W., and Chris M., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits this show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of the original series episode, Balance of Terror? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or via email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the movie Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Ooh, the search for whales. Yep, the search for whales. There'll be whales here, Captain. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Well, thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I wish I were on a long sea voyage somewhere. Not too much deck tennis, no frantic dancing, and no responsibility. What's deck tennis? (laughs) Apparently that was a thing back in the 60s.